So here's my question as we start today. Uh, today is the 22nd day of January, and I don't know if you know this, um, but it takes 21 days, 21 days to like create a new habit in your life. Like at least that's what the studies say. I don't, I don't know because I probably don't do a very good job at that. But here's why I asked that question. So we're 22 days in. So how are your New Year's resolutions going? Right? The New Year's resolutions that you made, are you now killing it? Because it's been 22 days. So like it should be a habit or a pattern or a rhythm of your life now. But for most of us, if we're really honest, it's probably not. Because things like this happen. We're like, well, you know, I was going to start on Monday, but it's Tuesday. So I can't start. And then all of a sudden, it's the 15th. Well, i got to start the next year. So 2024 is going to be better. But I was thinking how like when we begin to change things in our lives, that they're really good things. Like I, I would say it this way. If you wanted to live a healthy lifestyle this year, if you begin to exercise and eat better and do those kinds of things, right? Or maybe you decided, you know what? I want to go to bed with the dishes done every night because I hate having dishes in the sink. And so every night before I go to bed, the dishes are going to be cleaned out of the sink. Right? Or maybe you said, you know, I want to further my mind this year. And so every single day I'm going to read one chapter of a book. And so maybe you're doing really well at those things, but maybe, maybe things like this have happened. Um, right? I said, it's Tuesday, not Sunday. And I was going to start on Sunday. And so I can't start today. Um, so I'm, I'm going to skip the gym. Well, I, I'm going to eat really bad this weekend at a party, so I'm just going to eat bad all week long because I'm already going to do it bad this weekend, so I won't even start. Or maybe you're like, well, you know what? I was going to do the dishes, but I was so busy and I was so tired, and I just thought, well, they'll be there tomorrow, and, and so I'll just do it tomorrow. And I'll just wait till Saturday after that next day, which eventually gets kind of gross. But right, whatever it is, right, I'm just going to wait. I was going to read that book, but I opened it and my phone rang, and so I sat the book down, and so I'm just not going to read it. I don't have time, so now I'm going to do something else. Or maybe... And what we're beginning to find is all these things, these routines, like little things begin to, to mess them up. I'm like, oh, I just couldn't quit it. Or maybe this is helpful, right? I, I don't sleep that well, and so maybe if you're like me, you don't sleep well, and you're like, well, maybe here's what I'll do. I'll just hit the snooze button like six times every morning. And then I can't figure out why at the end of the day I, I'm really tired and sluggish. And, you know, because I was tired and sluggish, I didn't want to exercise. And I ate worse because I didn't want to cook anything. And so I just picked up something at McDonald's. And so we're not really sure. Over and over again, one little decision, one little thing impacts all these other things. Crazy, isn't it? How one little decision begins to impact so many things. And so I thought I would make this really personal today. Um, it's a bummer, right? When you make it personal and it's not like a celebratory thing about yourself. So a few years ago, I was at the gym, uh, getting ready to exercise, and I hopped on the scale because I thought, you know, that's a common thing to do. And I saw the number on the scale, and I was distraught. It's 40 pounds more than I weigh today. And I went to the gym three or four days a week. Now, I didn't watch what I ate at all. Right? I probably should have. Like, I watched myself eat it and, like, saw it, but, it, you know, I didn't think about it. Right? Because in my mind, I'm like, this is horrible. Right? I, I was... Uh, was was the operative word an athlete through college and I got trained and I thought this was really important and I thought well you know I had made this commitment that I won't ever be like that old fat guy who's out of shape and didn't exercise because he, I'm not going to do that and I'm like oh my gosh I made this commitment but the activity of my life is leading to the opposite result of what I said I wanted to do and so like I decided it was my intentions were really good I had good intentions but the action was pretty poor and so it led to a change in my life. Right, so here's the reality for all of us. Change uh, is more than just good intentions. To literally be transformed, to change who we are, it takes transformation, change, something new, something different. It takes a radically new way of living. And so I was thinking about this. Um, we don't realize how the habits and the rhythms and the practices of our life impact so much. 
In fact, we don't realize the small choices we make, how they add up over time. Um, and so our whole life is all these small choices over and over again, what we're going to do, what we're going to see, what we believe in. And so I would say this way, habits shape what we love. Habits shape what we love. I know that's scary, right? And we may not want to believe that. In fact, there's a, an author, a, a professor at Calvin University in Grand Rapids named James K.A. Smith. He's written a book. I'm giving away the whole premise of the entire book, but he also does it in the title. Um, read it if you want. It's, it's pretty good. It'll challenge the way you think about certain things. But, but here's the title. You are what you love. Really complex. You are what you love. The problem is he kind of proves it throughout the book. And so the challenging part for you and I is this, that most of us, and when we think about it that way, we're like, I don't know that I want to love what I do all the time, right? That doesn't sound good because here's why that would matter. Um, for a lot of you, 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 like me, get on Sundays, they send you a little note saying, here's how much time you spend on the screen this week. Um, and if we included our phone screens and our television screens, and we count up those hours, what we might find for most people, like this is not just, in, this is most people, most people spend more time on a screen than do anything else throughout their week. So then I would say to you, or me, you love your screen. You're like, no, I don't. I don't love my screen. I love my family. Like, well, based on your time, based on your habits, based on the patterns and rhythms of your life, you love your screen more than you love anything else. It's also what's messing up kids today, by the way. Like, that's a soapbox issue for another day that I'll talk about sometime. But um, you are what you love, right? I by the way, I, I mean, you could say to me, you love Chick-fil-A, and I'd go, you're right. And I even wrote that line at Chick-fil-A. So um, it is true. I do love Chick-fil-A. Um, you are what you love. I would like a good chicken sandwich. No, um, they're also closed on Sunday, so you cannot go there today. Sorry if I bummed you out because you were thinking about it now. But this leads to a question that you and I have to ask. It's a question that, honestly, uh, we may not always like the answer to. Who are you or I becoming? Who are you or I becoming, right? And so here's the question I'm going to ask with this. I'm going to ask this again later on, but here's the question. Are the practices, habits, and rhythms of your life leading you to become who you want to become? Are the practices, habits, and rhythms of your life leading you to become who you want to become? Right, to bring this back full circle to kind of what we're talking about here, we've begun this year talking about this idea that what's it look like for us to commit to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to follow him wholeheartedly, to live our life in that way. And so the series title for the next several weeks is really complex, took lots of time. It's called Following Jesus, right? I know, you're like, whoa, really worked hard on that one, didn't you? And I'm like, well, maybe, but here's what I would say in this. Um, here's why it matters. Throughout the New Testament, you'll never see in the scriptures someone call you to be a Christian. It's not there. You can look all you want. In fact, Christians only use three times in the New Testament. All of them are derogatory terms towards people who decided to be followers of the way, the way of Jesus. So what do we find in the New Testament over and over again? People are invited to become followers of Jesus. In our day, we say, well, I'm Christian because I'm not Buddhist or Muslim, right? I, I've, I'm American, so I must be something, and I'm not those things, so I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I must be Christian. But we find in the scriptures, to be Christian means to be a follower, to be committed to follow after Jesus, to be a disciple of, to spend our life in search of living like and becoming like him. And so we'd say it this way, to be a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus requires us to reorient our entire life around Jesus. Let me say that again. To be a disciple a follower, 
An apprentice of Jesus requires us to reorient our entire life around Jesus. You're like, all right, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he came and he died and he rose again and he offers us new life. I believe that the best life is found in following him. So how do I do this? What's this look like? And right, and there are three goals. I wish I'd come up with them. They're not mine, but they're really good. So these three goals are this, that I want to be with Jesus, which we talked about last week. I want to become like Jesus and I want to do what Jesus did. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And so last week we talked about what's it look like for us to be with Jesus. We begin to talk about this idea, what's it look like if you and I were to spend 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes every morning in silence and solitude and just beginning our day in the presence of God so that we might be shaped by him. And in fact, what would happen if we daily spent time with him over and over again? What if, what if we learned to live in such a way that we are present with God in the middle of all the activity of our life? Right? We joked about replying to email with Jesus. Driving my car with Jesus, talking to my kids with Jesus. You might need lots of Jesus for that one, but whatever it is, what if we were with Jesus in all those things? We recognize how? By the work of his spirit. That God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the idea that God is divinely present wherever you and I are in such a way that we can be connected to him through the Holy Spirit. And here's the phrase that we use that's really good. We'll use again. And here's the definition, right? The first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. The first and primary goal of apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. Learning to be present in all that we do and say. Next week, we'll talk about what did Jesus do, but this week, we're talking about how do we become like Jesus. Right, the obvious thing we talked about last week, well, I spend time with Jesus. That's going to help me become like Jesus, to spend time with him. But Jesus used this teaching that might be helpful for us. It's in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, and here's what the gospel writer Luke records. He writes this, he also told them this parable, now talking about Jesus. Jesus tells this teaching, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Okay, stop. That's basically the first half of the lesson, right? So blind people leading blind people, probably going to end poorly. That's how that's probably going to work. Blind people leading blind people doesn't work. Next one. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's it. That's the whole teaching. That's the whole parable. Like, okay, what's the point? Well, obviously, if I'm following a blind person we're gonna, and we're both blind, we're going to end up in a bad place. Like, well, I don't follow blind people, so I should be okay. Well, maybe. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. You and I all follow someone or something, whether that's intentional or unintentional. We all follow someone. Every one of us do. And you're like, well, not me. I'm unique. I don't follow anybody. Well, then you follow yourself, which is probably scarier, if we're honest. I don't want to follow myself. Like, if I'm not following after Jesus, like, that's probably going to end poorly for me. And the second part of this parable is this. You notice that Everyone to become like their teacher. How do you do that? You are fully trained, which implies what? That you can be partially trained. It also implies that training takes time. I wish that training was quick and momentary and it didn't take a lifelong effort, right? To be fully trained in something would be great if it happened fast. And not only does Jesus use this analogy of being trained, but Paul in much of the New Testament talks about 
I use athletics often as an analogy, right? So I'll come back to uh, the idea that when I want to change my exercise habits and get back in better shape, right? How do I do that? Well, here's the reality. I was fortunate that I had been fully trained by multiple trainers throughout my life. I had coaches in high school and a trainer through college, a personal trainer other times too, right? And so I knew when I went to the gym to exercise, I knew what activities to do, right? I knew what to do. They didn't just say, hey, here's a fitness center. There's a treadmill. There's some weights. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. By the way, that's the most intimidating place in the world to go if you don't know what you're doing. So if you've gone there for the first time, good for you, right? Like you're taking the first step. That's great. But if you don't know what you're doing and you just show up, it's going to take you a lot longer than if you have someone journeying with you, training you on how to do what it is you're trying to do. Another example that might be helpful. Um, some of you have had surgery or you're going to have surgery or you hope to never have surgery, but this would still be true. Um, I don't want to go to a surgeon who's just gone to med school and done all the academic part and never like practiced. That sounds like a horrible idea, right? Hey, I've read all the books, never done anything with it, but let's give it a shot. Hand me that scalpel, right? Like, please no, that's a terrible idea, right? We want someone who's been fully trained. They've done internships and residencies and they've practiced a lot, hopefully on other people before they get to me, right? That's what we hope for. This is what Jesus is trying to get across here. And here's how I would say this. How do we do this? We don't just you know, wake up and try to become a surgeon. That's not how that works. You practice, you train, you work at it. Um, you don't get better shape by just trying really hard one day. That's not how it works. It takes time and effort, right? So we would say you and I are not invited to try really hard to follow Jesus, but to train with him to become like him. To train with him to become like him. Paul records these words in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and maybe they're helpful for us today. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, Paul's referencing an Old Testament story where Moses keeps going to the tabernacle, and he keeps coming out, and his face is all shiny, and he has to put a veil on because people are freaking out. That's the story he's talking about. Not really applicable to what Paul's trying to say here, but what Paul's trying to say is this. You and I don't have to go to some special place that we can learn to be with Jesus, be with God, be with the Spirit where we are, and we can be transformed in the midst of it. We can become more and more created, recreated in the image of God seen in his son Jesus. We can be shaped and conformed to him. And then he uses this phrase, with ever-increasing glory. So what does that mean? That over time, we become people who look and act and sound more like Jesus. It takes time with ever increasing over a period of time that we can be transformed so that we look like him that we follow. Maybe we say it this way. Our journey to become like Jesus takes time and effort. A journey to become like Jesus takes time and effort. A few weeks ago, I used this phrase because uh, I was talking about how people go, well, I'm not Jesus, right? I'm, I'm not Jesus. Okay, you're right. You're not. Neither am I. Like, but, but again, if we're committed to becoming followers of Jesus, we should become like Jesus. We should begin to look and sound and act like him. Now, I don't expect any of us to be the savior of the world. That's not what I'm saying. But by virtue of time spent with him, 
by becoming like him, by doing what he did, by choosing to follow him with all that we are in our whole life over and over again. These patterns, these rhythms, these habits of our life will transform us so that we become like him. This work requires our transformation. It is more than just the changing of our habits. It is a commitment to a way of life. It is us choosing to intentionally partner with God and work with him for our transformation. Paul writes these words to the church in Rome. He'd never been with these people, but he wanted them to know that they could be radically transformed by the work of God. And here's what he wrote to them. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No one likes the idea when we say, like, well, we're all conformed to other people. You're like, oh, no, not me. Like, I'm not. Like, I'm just kind of my own person. Well, we're kind of all conformed to people. It's not all bad, by the way. Right? Here's a couple examples. Right? Um, clothing is an easy one to talk, talk about conformity. Um, like, I think it's an easy analogy, right? Here's what I mean. Um, like mom jeans are coming back, like the mom jeans from the 80s and the 90s, when no one's really sure why they're coming back, but they are, right? Um, some of you are like, I'm wearing them right now. Uh, good for you. Um, my mom wore them. That's why I think they're mom jeans, right? That's why they call them mom jeans, because those of us who are writing articles now think our moms wore them. So, um, mom jeans are coming back, right? Um, we could talk about this. Um, there's like the all, I'm going to wear all black moody kind of artist look. But it doesn't matter where you live. That happens everywhere. Like people wear the all moody look. Or you have your Carhartt beanie. Um, maybe you're wearing that right now. Sorry for you if I said that. Um, or maybe, right, you're wearing a flannel shirt today. And you're like, well, yeah, but like I'm 80 and wearing a flannel shirt. Like you're right. Because you and every other 80-year-old guy at the diner also wears the flannel shirt. Or you're on social media and they're all wearing flannel shirts and so you're wearing, like there's the young man flannel shirt and the old man flannel shirt. Like there's both, right? There's kind of like the two styles. Like I've had it in my closet for 30 years and I just picked this up last week, some designer flannel shirt. I don't know, right? So whatever it is, we all conform to people, right? Here's what we find. We often say like, well, no one else dresses like me. Mm, that's not true. Lots of people do. Right, we all conform to a particular image. I wear mostly golf clothes for a couple of reasons. One, I like them, but two, uh, then like if it's actually nice weather, I could actually play golf, but not right now. It's snowing again today. Um, right, but this is the reality for us. What is it we are conformed to? What do we look like? Conformity is in and in of itself not a bad thing, but we are conformed to wrong things. It is. But if we are conformed to people who are seeking after Jesus and collectively we look and sound and act and feel more like him, that is a really great thing. But if we just conform to other people and don't realize it, that we're shaped by them and we don't even know it, we have other circumstances and habits and stories we believe to be what shape us beyond what we see around us, that creates a problem. The problem for us is we are all shaped in intentional ways. Those are easy to figure out, right? We intentionally choose them. The hard part for all of us is we're all shaped in unintentional ways. Right? So I can joke about what we wear because we're all influenced right now, especially in a kind of a global world where there's social media and all kinds of stuff. We see what everybody's doing everywhere and we do conform in some way, shape, or And we're shaped by the stories that we hear all the time. We know this. 
We may not want to recognize it, but we know it to be true. Right? But here's the reality. Jesus invites us to embrace the practices of the people of God to help us overcome the things that we are shaped unintentionally by. That's why we gather on Sundays for worship, because it is a rhythm of life, a pattern of life, a practice that we can live out that is countercultural to the world in which we live, and so we embrace it because it becomes for us a way to reorient ourselves on a weekly basis as we start a new week about what is it that I want to keep first and primary in my life. Right? And sometimes um, when it comes to becoming more like Jesus, we give uh, like Christian ease answers, like churchy answers. People use like, one of my pet peeves, um, sorry if this is you, um, is when people use like all these like church phrases, they're just dumb. And they, they sound piffy, pithy, whatever. I, I think I said the wrong word. Anyway, but the point is this, like we'll say things like this. Um, just read your Bible more. Well, that's, that's a really good thing. Now, hear me, hear me well. I think the Bible is incredibly important. I read it every single morning. I think it's one of the most important things in my life. I've dedicated my life to it. I've gone to undergraduate and graduate school to study it. Like, I'd spend every day looking at it and wrestling with it and trying to understand it and to teach it, and all those things matter. But here's the reality. I can know a lot here. Did you know, by the way, the, the, one of the best biblical scholars in America today doesn't believe it? He's not a Christian. He's an incredibly good scholar, but he doesn't believe the Bible to be true. So we can know something here and not live it out in our life. We do this all the time. An example, I know that drinking lots of coffee is probably not a great thing for me to do. I know this intellectually, and yet I still drink lots of coffee every single day. I had a cup yesterday at 3.30 in the afternoon, which I knew was probably a poor decision when I drank it. Because I know I don't sleep well, which is probably going to end poorly for me. And so at 2.30 last night, I was still awake. And I kept thinking about the fact that I probably shouldn't have had that cup of coffee at 3.30. Now, here's the reality. I will probably have another cup of coffee at 3.30 today. It's just how this works. I know intellectually it's a bad decision. I don't really care. I really like coffee. I don't love it. I really like it. Chick-fil-A, I might love it. That's a whole other conversation. But having the right head knowledge or just more information of like the Bible doesn't lead to you changing the behavior of your life. I like the way Dallas Willard puts it when he writes this. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe it, that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. I can say I believe all kinds of things about books or health or scripture, but if I don't invest them and I don't live them out, then I don't really believe it. Information intake is not the same of a transformed life. So the question for you and I is, are the habits and the patterns and the rhythms of our life, are, we, are they helping us to become more like Jesus? Right, okay, so here's another phrase that we sometimes use in church that I don't think is, all, is equally as bad, by the way. Actually, probably worse, if we're honest. But it would say, let go and let God. Right? Like the idea that I'm, like, or like we could use the carry word song, does Jesus take the wheel? Um, also, not helpful, by the way. This is a terrible idea. Let go and let God, let him do what? Like you're doing nothing? Like, hey God, I'm going to do nothing, and I want you to just change me. Well, you have to at least consent, right? That's at least what would be a part of it. But the idea that God is just going to change you without your effort and without your desire, God doesn't work that way. 
All throughout the scripture, he invites us to participate with him, to enter into a relationship where you and I play a role in our transformation. We practice things over and over again. God will not change you without your participation in that transformation. He invites us to partner with him in us being changed. It doesn't happen just because we think it. But when we open ourselves to the work of his spirit, over time we become different people. And have you noticed how sometimes when you start doing something, um, you didn't like it to begin with? Like maybe, maybe you made a health decision, like now you really like healthy food, and a few years ago you didn't. Or maybe you really like to exercise now, and you used to not. Or maybe you really like to lead books, and at some point you didn't. I mean, like whatever it is, like there's probably some weird stuff out there that you didn't used to like, but now you do. I, I don't know. But our habits over time, they can change us, and we begin to like, we begin to love those things. So um, we call that practice. We do something over and over again to get better at it. Like I'll use an example. So my daughter, Gracie, is 10 years old. Gracie's a really good artist, especially for being 10. I don't say that just because I'm her dad, although I am her dad, and I am incredibly proud of her. Like I do say that as her dad. But I say that because like teachers have said that, and she's been in art shows, and like all this kind of stuff. But Gracie, every single day, this is not an exaggeration, she paints or draws something every day. Every single day. No one has to tell her to do it. She goes in her room. She gets stuff out. She goes in the kitchen table. We find stuff everywhere. Like, she, she's always painting or drawing something. And here's the thing. She didn't just say, like, you know, I'm going to try to be good at art. And she was. No, she practices every single day, all the time. And so, in fact, I've got a few pictures. I think, uh, I think they're in the right order. We'll see. Um, so that's one from a few years ago, right? Um, so it's, it's okay. It's pretty good. It looks like a, definitely an elementary school, but they keep getting a little bit better. And so the next one, this one was, I think, even an art show. You can see lily pads and whatever else is going on there, uh, a little pond. Um, this is one she's doing. This is much more recent. So like this one, I think she painted. And then um, if you're a fan of Cinderella, then you might like Gus Gus. So, um, but, but she just keeps practicing over time more and more and more, learning new ways to produce art because she loves it. And she's gotten pretty good at it. But she didn't get good at it just because she hoped to be good at it or because she read something about art. She got good because she did it over and over and over again. And so I was thinking, how in the way world do we become like Jesus? Because it is not because we try really hard. It's because we practice new things. We practice the ways of Jesus. So what are the ways of Jesus, right? Well, we could talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We want to embrace them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like, those are the fruits, the overflow of when we know God. Jesus kind of modeled those. Paul writes about those. We could say this, right? The central teaching of Jesus, I don't know really any scholar will disagree with this. The central teaching of Jesus is this. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so you can read it. And, and here's the thing. If you have been conformed to the world in which we live and you read the Sermon on the Mount, you go, oh, that's a nice saying, but that's not real. That's your response, honestly. But if you have been transformed by the work of the Spirit and you read the Sermon on the Mount, you go, this is God's desire for his kingdom people in the world in which we live. It is real and we are called to it. It's a matter of perspective. And so what would happen if you and I begin to embrace those things? It's not that we're saying we want to earn our salvation. That's not what I'm trying to say today. It is the gift of God, period. We, we, we can establish that. But this idea is this, that we are called to become holy or Christ-likeness, to become like Jesus. And for us to do that, it requires our participation in God's work. And so can you imagine for just a moment what might happen in your home if you spent your life trying to become like Jesus? Jesus. 
What kind of husband or father or mother or wife or kid? What kind of person would you be if your life's goal was to become like Jesus? How might that change not only your home, but your workplace? What kind of transformation might take place there? What might take place in the places you play or you go to school? What, what, what might your classroom look like if you, your life's goal was to become like Jesus? Can you imagine for just a moment the transformation that might exist in our community when people are broken and hurting? Can you imagine the voice of hope and comfort you might give? Can you imagine what it might look like if that was who you were, that you became more and more like Jesus? Who you and I are becoming is of vital importance. Right? Jesus doesn't call us to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, although that's not necessarily a bad thing, but he calls us to pursue righteousness and holiness and for us to become people who look and sound like him. He invites us to become like him. And here's what happens. If we are most concerned with becoming like him, then the overflow of our life will look like him. On our worst days, we'll sound more like him. When we're most broken, we'll sound more like him again and again. But it requires our practice, our participation, our investment in desiring to become like him. Um, Like I said earlier, we can't just earn it. I love this quote from Dallas Ward again. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn Christ-likeness, but you can put in your effort and God's work and his spirit combined together and you and I can be transformed. That is possible. So what are the efforts, the practices that Jesus invites us into? We, we often talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And so this is not an exhaustive list, really anything which is focused on knowing Jesus more or becoming more like him could be a, a spiritual discipline. But here's a kind of a, a helpful list, right? Prayer, reading the Bible, silence, solitude, corporate worship, which you are doing right now, fasting, Sabbath, submission, service, confession, study, community, meditation. Right, I don't know how we came up with other ideas. In fact, we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about some of these, unpacking some of them together. How can we embrace them as we follow Jesus, as we look at his life and his teachings? How can we embrace the ways of Jesus more and more? Doing these activities don't make us like Christ. They're a means to an end. By doing these activities, we find that we begin to connect with him in ways that do lead to our transformation. They are not the goal. The goal is to become more and more like Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit and our effort combined that lead to our transformation. God won't change you and I if we don't invite him to. If we get to choose in the intentional ways Right? Those are pretty easy. But what happens if we begin to say, I know there are unintentional ways I am shaped, and I don't want to be shaped by them. I want to be shaped by you. And so I asked the question earlier, and I'm asking the question again. Are the practices, habits, and rhythms of your life leading you to become who you want to become? Are the practices, habits, rhythms of your life leading you to become who you want to become? Did you know you and I have the same amount of time every single day? All of us do. The question is, how are we going to invest that time? What will be the goal of our life? Will it be to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, do what he did? Or is the goal of our life, man, I just can't wait till the kids go to bed and so I can watch something on television. Not knocking it. I know I'm there some days. What's the goal of our life? 
Is our goal to become more like him or not? And so I want to add to this. I'm going to add a a second question, right? If you've committed to follow Jesus, here's the second question. If you're committed to being a disciple of Jesus, are the practices, habits, rhythms of your life leading you to become more like Jesus? Who you and I are becoming matters. It matters. It matters to those who love us and to those we love. It matters to the neighbors we don't even know. It matters to the people we're going to work with or might come into contact with. Who we are becoming desperately matters. And so you and I are called to become like Jesus. So what might happen if we committed our lives to that? Who are you and I becoming? We pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together this day and for the way you continue to be at work and the things we see and don't see. And will you help us to, to make decisions in our lives that would lead us to become and look and act and sound more like you? May we find that you offer us a way of life, that you're the means of life. That you invite us to be so radically transformed that we would look and sound and be so different than we are right now. And so, Father, this morning as we continue to pray together, We ask that you would help us to make decisions in our lives. The patterns, the habits, and the rhythms of our life would look and sound more like your son. And that we might become people who look and sound like him. Help us to become like you. We pray this in Jesus' name.